0: Well, it's good to see everybody today. And if I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name's Nate, one of the pastors here. And would you welcome everybody watching online with our 1130 service in our video venue. Just want to let you know whether you're at Bedside Baptist this morning no, I'm just joking. But or at the lake, whatever. If you're out of town, we want to let you know we are so glad that you're tuning in with this. We're so glad that you're here in the room. Uh, I love last weekend, if you were here, Bob Goff, he is literally one of a kind. He did phenomenal. If you didn't get to hear that message, actually, uh, one of the reasons why we weren't able to post it online is because Bob said, hey, do you want me to be really real with you guys as a church? And we said, yeah, dude, that's why you're coming here, right? You know, We want you to be real. And he said, okay, here's the deal. I'm going to share some stories that I I can't have you guys post. And if you were here, man, some of those stories were just phenomenal of what he's doing overseas. And so what we're going to do this week as a church, he had uh, preached basically the same message without some of the illustrations that he gave us. And we're going to post a link to that sermon this week. It was when he went down to Atlanta to a church called North Point, did a phenomenal thing. So that way you can share that, you can rewatch that. Uh, But we disagreed with him. We're like, man, we want to protect you. We want to protect the people you're working with in some of the areas that you shared. So that's why it's not posted online, but uh, it was great. Ran into one of our members this week while I was out and her name is Becky. And she said that Bob Goff, she said, I want to be him. I said, me too. They're like, me too, man. Like, I, yes, absolutely. I want to be like Bob. Actually, his book is still for sale out in our resource center. And uh, I began to talk a little bit more about that. And uh, we talked about uh, his sermon at our life group this week. And we got into a discussion. We were, we were talking about, we had some questions and we were digging in a little bit more. And we, 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 we were going, I wonder what Bob would think about this. I wonder what he would say about this. And then we just stopped in the middle of the room and go, his number's in the back of the book. Let's just call him. And there, seriously, Thursday night in our life group, we called Bob and he answered. It was awesome. He goes, yeah, I'm celebrating our 32nd anniversary. Like, oh, sorry, my bad. You know, it's just, but he answered. We asked him a question. He took all the time. world. It was such an incredible moment. And I went, man, I want to be like this guy. And I began to think a little bit more about that this week. I'm like, I, I, we say that all the time about some people. Man, I wish I could be like them. And I understand where Becky was coming from because she is a lawyer. And she's going, I'm seeing this guy who's a lawyer do incredible things for God. And she's going, I want to be like him. And I began to ponder a little bit more, okay, I want to be like him, but why? Like, at the end of the day, what is it about him? Yes, he's a great guy and all this other stuff, but I get motion sickness real easy. And I'm like, man, I can't fly everywhere. I can't drive everywhere. I can't do what he's doing. You know, I'd have to be sponsored by Dramamine if I'm going to do this, you know. And I'm like, I can't do all the things he's doing. But I really dug in. I'm like, why is it that I want to be like him? And I begin to think about it. And this is what came to mind. It wasn't just the cool stuff that he's doing in this world for God. It said, I came to this conclusion, he actually lives like he's loved by God. He actually believes that he's loved by God. So when he tells us, go love creepy people, he's going, you know what, there's a lot of people we don't want to love in this world, but he is so aware that God loves him that he lives a life of love because he knows he's loved. See, this whole series that we're talking about, this idea of tough love, sometimes what Christians get, you know, a reputation for is what they're against more than what they're for. And so Christians get known for, you know, forearm shivering people in this world in the name of God, but we go, hey, I'm going to show you some tough love. And Bob comes around and goes, no, I'm going to love you when it's tough. And we're going to spend seven weeks walking through the book of John, looking at when Jesus loved when it was tough. But the reason that we see Bob and his influence and even what Jesus was calling us to is Jesus calls us to a different way to love. He calls us to love when it's tough. It's not just about giving out tough love. It's about loving when it's tough. Matter of fact, Jesus comes and he reframes love for the entire world. If you're not a believer here today, or you're wondering, maybe you have become a believer, you go, is there, like a, is there a text in the Bible that can just really let me understand the heart of God, what Jesus is really about? I want to point you to Matthew chapter 5, verse five through, or chapters 5 through 7. It's Jesus' manifesto. It's the Sermon on the Mount. He's like, if you want to know who I am, what I think about, a bunch of big controversial issues, go read Matthew 5 through 7. And in there, Jesus reframes love for us. And listen to what he says about love. This is in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. He says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, some of you are going, what if I hate my neighbor? You know, are they my neighbor? and that, that's how we kind of live. But he says this, but I tell you, because he knows it's too easy. It's too easy to love your neighbor and hate your enemy. We're like, we all do that in here. We all have favorites. We all have people that we love more than others. But Jesus says, but I tell you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's tough. None of us, that none of us, that's our first reaction. When someone hates us, we don't love them, we hate them back. He says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. That you may live the way that God designed and created you to live. He goes on to say this, because he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? See, what Jesus is calling us back to as Christians is we go, we are to love different than the world loves. It's easy to love those who love you. It's hard to love those who don't love you and me. Then he says this, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Man, I walked out of here last weekend hearing from Bob about going and loving people and all this other stuff, and I looked like my son this week. He went to his first day of preschool. There's this two-year-old preschool that he's getting to go to a couple days a week, and this was his face when we took him just for his preview day. It wasn't even the first day of school. We just said, buddy, you're going to go and spend an hour. (laughs) That was him saying cheese cheese, man, and we leave this place. Let's go love creepy people. Let's go love our enemies. Let's pray for those who persecute us. We're like, let's do it. And then he went to his first day of school and we walk him in the building this Thursday and we walk him right to his room. Remember this face right here, all right? Cheese, let's go to school. Here's his face right outside his classroom on his first full day of school. Dude, stiff as a board. Carter, you got to go in. Uh uh-uh. I mean, literally, right outside the door, wouldn't go in. And oftentimes, isn't that the case with us? Let's go love the world until we have to. Let's go love our enemies until we have to. Let's go pray for those who persecute us and trash our names and subtweet about us. It's one thing to talk about doing it. It's another thing to actually do it. See, a lot of times I confuse the message of Jesus and think he's calling me to go and love the toughest people in this world, and that's the calling. But what I'm finding is this, the toughest thing that you and I will ever do, the toughest thing that you'll do is let Jesus love you. If you're falling along, you want to write that in. Now, some of you go, what do you mean, Nate? The toughest thing that I'll do is let Jesus love you. That, that doesn't sound very deep. No, no, we need to sit in here for a second. You know why I don't love a lot of people when it's tough? It's because it's going to have to be my love that I think I give them. And what do we give people when we don't have the love of Christ in us? Well, we give them hate, don't we? We give them everything but... Christ. That's why I want to be so much like Bob Goff, because I'm going, you know what? He knows he is love. That's why he gives love to the world. The toughest thing that you'll ever do is let Jesus love you. In the darkest moments of your night, in the darkest moments of the regrets, these places and these moments that you fear, that you go, man, I was talking to a buddy this week. We were inviting him to church. He didn't grow up in church, and he said this. He goes, man, you guys are pretty cool. It sounds like a cool church. And he was just honest with me. He goes, I'm just afraid. And I th- he was halfway joking, but I go, I think, he, I think he believes this. He goes, I'm just afraid if I walk in those doors, I'm going to burst into flames. <laughs> and I went, man, the toughest thing he'll ever do is let Jesus love him. Because I'm going, there's some flame moments in his life that he regrets, that he's embarrassed of, that he's going, you know what? I hope nobody knows about this. I'll just keep this to myself. When we talk about loving people, you know what I found? Sometimes this is just the way I'm wired. It might not be the way that you're wired. What I found is this. It's easier to love other people for me than sometimes to let Jesus love me. It's easier for me to go and bless other people than it is to let Jesus bless me, because when Jesus blesses me, I have to let him have all of my life. I I have to let his love come into all the places that I'm embarrassed of. And sometimes it's easier instead of allowing him to love me, I'll just go love other people. I'll just go do these other things instead of sit here and let Jesus love me. Here's the problem with this. If we never let Jesus love us when it's tough, we will never love people in their tough moments if we never allow Jesus to love us in our toughest moments. This is why Jesus' love is tough. And this is why we're taking time to look at John because this is what I love about the book of John is John knows that he is loved by Jesus. Matter of fact, this is what John, he was a disciple. He was actually, the Bible records that he was Jesus' best friend. He was someone who was loved by Jesus. And, matter of fact, this is how he addressed himself all throughout the book of John. This is what he would say. Instead of saying, I was there or I saw this, he would say this the one that Jesus loved. John knew he was loved by God. Matter of fact, John gets sent into exile for being a Christian, gets totally shipped out and away from everybody to go die on an island for being a Christian. While he's on that island left for dead, Jesus visits him, gives him a revelation. He writes the book of Revelation to go bless the churches, to go bless us. And the reason why he had that revelation is because he simply was loved by Jesus. The toughest thing that you'll ever do is let Jesus love you. Because there's so many parts in our life that we're afraid to let Jesus love us. Oh, do we need grace? Oh, yeah, I want to spend eternity in heaven. Do you want Jesus' love to reconcile the disaster that you've created on this earth? That's different than heaven, isn't it? See, these tough parts of our life, this is what it means to have a tough love. It's this Jesus love that comes into our life. Listen to how John starts out his book. He says this in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. He says, in the beginning was the Word. In the very beginning was Jesus. Sometimes we believe that Jesus only showed up in the New Testament. John is pointing your attention and my attention to the fact that Jesus was there in the very beginning of creation with God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus has been here all along. And he says this. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made, and in him was life, and that life was the light of all people. Jesus' love isn't just for the good people. Jesus' love is for all people, even for those who don't believe in him, who don't accept him. And he goes on to say, and this light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. What John is doing here is he's pointing his audience, which is typically at that time a Jewish audience, and he says those three words, in the beginning. Anybody know where that verse is found? It's in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And what John is doing here is he's saying, Jesus was there at the very beginning. He created all things. He created you. He created me. He created everything. And even though this world is broken, he is committed to loving us and redeeming us back to the way it was in the beginning. Even if you don't think you're worthy of redemption, Jesus does, and he's come after us. And what John is doing is he's reframing the minds of the people to go, hey, there's a bigger story that Jesus is connected to, that he's longing to redeem. And this is the way we learn, and this is the way we think. Matter of fact, there's a song that if we hear a song or we hear something, it sparks a story. If you hear this song, this story will come to mind. I don't know if you've heard this music before, but when it comes on, you'll go, oh, I'll immediately think about it. Listen to this music and see if this you know, sparks anything in your imagination here, all right? got some. Some of you just woke up. You're like, "Where am I? Am I in a theater across the street?" I walked in the wrong theater. Now here's the first words of every Star Wars movie. You ready? In a galaxy, what? Far, far away. Now you're into a story. In a galaxy. And you immediately go, which one is this? Is this Han Solo? Is it this? Is it what, what's happened with Luke? Where's he at? What about Leia? And, and you all start thinking about characters because you, all you did was you heard music. And as soon as you heard music, you thought of a story. That's what John is doing here. He's going, in the beginning. When you read the Bible, you don't need to ask, what is it saying? You need to ask, why did the author say it? John is saying, you need to understand and when Jesus came into the world, he was here before the world was made. The world was made through him, and he is now coming into the world, into the darkness, into the toughest places, and he is redeeming all things. Listen what it goes on to say in verse 9. It said, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not what? Recognize him. Anybody ever not been recognized for the work that you've done? You do all the work, and guess who gets the accolades? Your boss. And when your boss has a moment to say, man, my team and so-and-so, and and they did all this work, they go, thank you very much. I'll take that raise. I'll take that promotion. And you're sitting there going, you're not going to recognize my work? You're not going to recognize what I did? Matter of fact, even not just in work, that's what we long for, isn't it? We long to walk in a room and have somebody actually recognize us. Would somebody pay any attention to me? Would somebody give any value to me? Though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, John says, but his own did not what? Receive him. Anybody ever walk into a room, hey, so-and-so, good, hey, man, good to see you. And they're like, mm-mm, <laughs> not going to be seen with you. My middle name is Wayne. My dad's middle name is Wayne. My grandpa's middle name is Wayne. And so when I had my son, of course, his middle name was Wayne. And the thought crossed my mind. I went, you know what I need, you know what I want to do? I want to get ahead of him because I know he's going to love me when he's a kid, but he's a teenager, he's going to hate me. I know it. And so I thought, I want to get ahead of this when he doesn't want to recognize me in public, and I'm going to call him John. And so that way, when I pull up to the theater to pick him up, and he's 14, I'm going to roll down the window and go, hey, John Wayne, get in the car. (laughs) My wife goes, you're sick. I know, help me, pray for me. We know what it's like. To not be received by people. To have that feeling to walk in a room and people don't receive you. You go, ouch. I have no idea what it's like to create the entire universe, the cosmos, every intricacy in all of humanity and to come into it and all of humanity. Reject me. You realize that's what Jesus walked into? This is the story that John wants us to get our mind around. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, Jesus creating all things. All things were made through him. And yet when he came into the world to redeem the world, the world did not recognize him and the world did not receive him. That's the story of you and I. For some of us, you grew up a long time not recognizing him, not receiving the grace that he has. Even though I grew up in church, just because I grew up in church, that didn't mean I was recognized. matter of fact, I was embarrassed when I'd have to go take pictures at the Bible club in junior high. Because then I had to be recognized as a Christian. I went, wow, I rejected Jesus. I couldn't even take a yearbook photo for him. Man, that's pathetic faith. A lot of times we don't realize how much we've rejected Jesus or not recognized or not received him in our life. But here's the beauty of John's story. Here's the beauty of the tough love of Jesus. Listen what it says in verse 12. This, This one's gotten my heart all fired up. Yet, I'm, just, I'm in love with this word yet right now. Yet, to all who did receive him, to, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Yet, for everyone who rejected him, who didn't receive him, who didn't recognize him, yet even them, to all of those who did receive him, to those who did believe in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent or of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Man, did you see that all over Sierra and Cynthia's face during that baptism? Tears of becoming children of God. Yet, even though you and I didn't recognize him and didn't receive him in our life, even then, yet he still gives love to us. He loves us. Here's one thing we need to understand is this. All of us in this room, even if you're an atheist, even if you don't believe in God, every single one of us are made in the image of God, and we are God's creation. This is why every life has value. This is why everybody across the world, no matter their religion, every single person has value because everybody's made in the image of God. But here's the deal. Just because you're made in the image of God does not mean you're the child of God. It is a right that God gives us when we receive his grace. Now, some of you go, Nate, that doesn't sound fair at all. You know what's not fair? What's not fair is for Jesus to create this world perfect and for you and I to come in and mess it up. That ain't fair. And yet, Jesus comes into the world and into the darkness, and he saves us. And he goes, hey, if you call on me, if you receive me, if you believe in me, I will give you the right to become the children of God. If you're following along, you'll want to write this in. This tough love of Jesus, this is why it matters so much, this tough love of Jesus handles rejection. We don't handle rejection well, do we? I know I don't. I remember one of the times that uh, I, I, it actually took me two years to get over this rejection. I, I've never wanted to punch a pastor in the face more in my entire life. Right? Church is where we confess our sins to one another. Right? so don't judge me. Okay, <laughs> I'm serious. I, I just started in ministry, and there was a pastor. I wasn't his. I wasn't. We weren't even. We were just kind of acquaintances. I didn't. I didn't have his number. We weren't great friends or any of that stuff. But I wanted to be like him because he was super successful. Had a bunch of influence. I thought the world of him. It was great. And I didn't, you know, somehow it got back through the grapevine to me that he was talking a bunch of trash about me and my leadership and how I wasn't a really good leader and all this other stuff. And I was devastated. I mean, I was ready to go and throat punch this guy. You know, I was like, dude, fine. Let's just go out back, bunch of pastors. That'll show the world the love of Christ. You know what I'm saying? Just like. (laughs) For a whole year, every time his name would come up, got angry. I had to pray about it, and guess what would happen? Nothing. Two years went by, still wanted to punch the guy. So just uh, clean his clock, man. Until God began, I'm going, literally, I had to start getting into the deepest parts of my soul. I'm like, why am I so mad at this guy? And God, I'm praying about this, but this feeling of rejection is not leaving me. What, What is going on? And it wasn't, you know, it it wasn't just that he, he you know, talked trash about me or whatever, because guess what? Your family probably talks trash about you. You know what I'm saying? Like, everybody's going to talk trash about us. It's not that that's so uncommon, but have you found the times of rejection that hurt the worst in your life might not come from your family? It comes from those that you value the most. And what I didn't realize in my life was I was valuing this guy's words and influence and status in my life more than I was valuing the love of Christ in my life. And what Jesus was saying is this, Nate, you can't control when people reject you, but the toughest thing you'll do is let Jesus love you. Problem is, through those two years, I never let the love of Christ handle that rejection. You know how we can allow Christ to handle our rejection? Because he was rejected by the entire world. See, that's what this tough love is of Jesus. It goes, when you're rejected, don't try to wait for them to come back and apologize. Let my cross, where I was nailed to, that took the rejection, all the sin, where nobody recognized me, I took that on. Let me take that, and I will give you my love. And that will handle your rejection. Will it continue to hurt? Absolutely. But the only way forward is to allow the love that Christ has for you to become greater than that rejection in your life. For some of you, it's very fresh in your mind. Maybe it's because your dad never said he loved you. Maybe it's because your dad left you. And that rejection right now is more raw and real, and it's 30 years later, and you go, nothing's ever changed for 30 years. I'm not trying to act like that rejection's wrong. What I'm saying is this. The toughest thing you'll do is let Jesus love you through that rejection. Maybe it's a relationship. It's gone sideways. God is saying, let me love you in your rejection. It's the only way forward. It's the toughest thing you'll do. we want to go punch people, we want people to come apologize. We don't know what to do with rejection. Listen what Jesus does in the middle of rejection. Verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. I love how Eugene Peterson in his translation of the message puts it this way, Jesus became human and moved into the neighborhood. You reject me, great. My neighbors hate me, I'm moving in. You're like, oh great. Not that Jesus guy. Jesus says, hey, the world is going to reject me, and I'm going to move into the world. That's tough love, isn't it? Man, that tough love comes in and goes, I'm going to love you. Even when you don't love me, I'm going to love you. See, that's the beauty of Jesus. That's the hope that we talk about. Even when you don't love him, he loves you. And when you don't want him, he wants you. And He dwells among us. And what he says, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. The beauty of Jesus is this, it's not just that he can handle our rejection, it's that he also remains present. That's what tough love does. Tough love says, I'm going to remain present. That's why in our relationships or maybe in our marriage or at work, when things get difficult, you ever heard of this phrase, fight or what? Flight. When someone doesn't recognize you at church, or not maybe, maybe at church, I was going to say work, maybe you came in, nobody recognized you, like, well, I'm not going back to that church. Maybe you come into work and you go, fine, if you're not going to recognize me, I'm out. You tell your spouse, fine, if you're not going to be committed to me, I'm not going to be committed to you, I'm out. And Jesus goes, even when you're not committed to me, I'm going to remain present and then it says this. I thought this was fascinating. It says, and Jesus doesn't just remain present. He remains present, full of grace and truth. This is what Jesus brings us. This is the tough love that he has for us. It's grace and it's truth. It's grace and it's truth. Listen to what it says in verse 16. It says, out of his fullness. Out of all of this love of Jesus, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. And he's talking about the law. He gave the law to the Israelites. This is a moment of grace. Here's how you're to live. This is the love of God. It says this in verse 17, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. If you want to experience the fullness of Jesus, you will experience not just his grace, but his truth. Literally, it means 200%. Tough love is 200%. It's 100% grace, and it's 100% truth. Now, Jesus isn't being some weird football coach that gets everybody together and goes, all right, everybody, I want 159% out there today. You're like, how do you come up with that math? He's not saying, he's not just making up a random number. What Jesus is saying is this, I have come to give you grace, 100% grace and 100% truth. As I'm preparing the sermon this week, my buddy texted me, his name's Matt, comes to church here. Great guy, going through a really hard time right now. Got a couple young kids and his wife left him for another dude. Man, he's hurting. Talk about loving when it's tough. We've been dialoguing a little bit and he texted me this week. And he says, Nate, great guy, great leader. He says, uh, I'm thinking, you know, I've been hearing about these life group signups and I know where I'm at in life. He goes, I'm thinking I ought to start a life group for single dads out there. And I was like, man, that's such a neat deal, man. What a neat thing of going, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step into that. I'm like, dude, that is grace, man, that you would allow Jesus to keep working in your life. And then it hit me, truth. And Jesus was going, Nate, This is what I need you to tell him though. I'm like, Matt, you can do it, man, I think you're great. But before I wrote back, what Jesus was putting on my heart to tell him was this. I don't know if you've ever been in this moment where God gives you something to say and the risk of you saying it could go bad. But what God was telling me to tell him was this. Matt, I think God's gonna open the door for you to lead that group, but you need to go to divorce care first. and get healed, and work through this tough season, and allow Jesus to love you, and probably the toughest time of your life, before you can begin to love others when it's tough. I don't know if you've ever said something like that over text message, and then the bubble comes back with three dots, <laughs> and you're like, oh Lord, they're writing back. <laughs> and then you go, what are they writing back? <laughs> And then you start thinking, I should have never said that. I should have never said that. Shouldn't have said that. Should have called him. Should have never said that. You know, because we say stuff over text message. We never say face to face. This is all he wrote back to me. I wrote it down. I want to make sure I say it right. I knew you'd be honest with me. I knew you'd be honest with me. Thanks for giving me grace. It's telling me. God's with me. Thanks for giving me truth and telling me to go get healing first. Thanks for telling me to go be loved by Jesus before I start loving other people. In the end, isn't that what you and I want? We want the truth, don't we? Here's the only problem. Grace and truth. Problem is, especially in the church world, we let these be totally opposite of one another. I wanted to do a little you" or "you." U of L versus UK, but they didn't have royal blue. So UK fans, I know this isn't royal blue, all right? So don't don't, don't judge me. Give me some grace here, okay? <laughs> Here's the thing in the church world: a lot of times we want to give people one or the other. Maybe you've been on a street corner and you've seen someone yelling at people, you're going to hell. And yeah, if we never receive and believe in Christ and let him make us a child of God we won't live eternity with me but have you noticed they're never baptizing anybody on street corners all it is is arguments and it's yelling because what's missing guys there's only one other option it's not not that hard it's just grace man (laughs) I gotta keep it simple for me I wanna keep it simple for you it's grace. I love what Scott Saul says, I put it in your outline. He's a pastor in Nashville. He says, if all we give people is truth without grace, it's religious bullying. So I lie to you, that's your story. I grew up in church, but I quit going because every week the pastor was telling me I'm going to hell, and there was nothing else. There was no Romans 2, that it is God's kindness that leads us to repentance. But Scott says this, but if all we give people is grace and no truth, he says what you actually end up doing to people is just enabling them to live in sin. Just say yes to Jesus and then do whatever you want. Sleep with whoever you want. Do whatever you want. Steal whatever money you want. Grace! And you go, that doesn't sound right. This is why Jesus... Came and John says, full of grace and truth. That's why when Matt reached out to me, I had to give him truth, but it was with grace. And I had to give some more truth, but it's with grace. And we have some moments where we got to give more grace, but there's got to be truth with it. It's not one or the other. It's both all the time. Jesus, 200% back and forth. It's grace and it's truth. And it's grace and it's truth. And it's grace and it's truth. And it's grace and it's truth. What do you need, Jesus, to be in your life today? Maybe you don't give yourself any grace Let Jesus be your grace. Maybe you're the truth in your life. Matter of fact, that's why you're stuck. Because Jesus isn't your truth. Listen how John ends this passage in verse 18. He says, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son Who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father. And listen how he ends this. And God has made him what? Known. The beauty of this story is this. Where you find yourself in rejection, where you find yourself in your loneliness, where you find yourself in your sin, God has made grace and truth known to all of his creation. Where do you need to know him? Where do you need his 100% grace to come in? Where do you need his 100% truth to come in and to begin to do a new work in your life? The toughest thing you'll ever do is let Jesus love you with his 100% grace and 100% truth. We'll never love when it's tough if we don't let Jesus love us in the toughest, darkest places of our life. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for providing more than what we even think we need. Thank you, Jesus, for coming into this world and, God, to continue to love us even when we weren't aware that we were rejecting you. That we weren't following you, that we weren't listening to you, that we weren't for you. And yet, Jesus, and we, even when we weren't for you, you were still for us. And so, Father, I just pray today that our hearts and our minds would be open to your grace, would be open to your truth. And Jesus, would you give us the courage by the power of your Holy Spirit to speak that to one another, to be obedient to that, because in you is the love that we desperately need. So Jesus, today, may we look different because of you. May we act different because of you. And may we know your grace and your truth today. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Let's be loved this week, everybody. God bless you.